Can I ask you something? Sure, go ahead. Personal, kind Okay, what? You a lawyer. You make good money, right? Good days and bad, but yeah. Legit money on the level. Yeah, so? Your wife's a lawyer? A legit lawyer? Yeah. Why you do all this? Oh, <laughs> I got you. I, I know from the outside this looks like just another scam, but you're not seeing the bigger picture. A couple months from now, there are people whose lives are going to be way better because of this. We're making a real difference. Trust me. We're doing the Lord's work here. If you say so. Be seeing you. Hello and welcome back to the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. I'm your host, Bankale Mokwede, and join me in the sandy desert and surprisingly rainy desert of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Later, I'll be joined by my guest from earlier in the week, Sam Neal, to preview Andrew Garfield's upcoming true crime murder mystery show, Under the Banner of Heaven, which comes out in the US on the 28th of April on Hulu. And I hope you stick around for that. But before all that, I'm going to get into the third episode of The Incredible Better Call Saul. As always, if you're listening on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. We really appreciate it, as this helps us get our podcast out there. And whatever platform you're listening on, please subscribe to the podcast and you can get notifications when new episodes drop. We are currently covering Moon Knight Weekly. From next week, we'll be covering Barry Weekly, along with our Better Call Saul Weekly coverage. So please just subscribe to the podcast. Um, Yeah, so we're talking about Better Call Saul now, and trust me, there are spoilers, so please only go ahead if You've seen the episode. Him? You think the chicken man? (laughs) What a joke. Alvarez has been paying me for years. Years, but you know what? I would have done it for free because I hate every last one of you. Psycho sacks of shit. I opened Lalo's gate. And I would do it again, and I'm glad what they did to him. He's a soulless pig. And I wish I killed him with my own hands. And you know what else, Hector? I put you in that chair. Oh yeah, your heart meds. I switched them for sugar pills. You were dead and buried, and I had to watch this asshole bring you back. So when you are sitting in your shitty nursing home and you're sucking down on your jello night after night for the rest of your life, you think of me, you twisted fuck. Okay, episode three of Better Call Saul, season six, titled Rock and Hard Place. It is written and directed by Gordon Smith. And yeah, I think there's only one place we can start, which is with our guy, Ignacio Nacho Valga. So we pick up the episode with him on the run from the Salamanca twins after the incredible shootout in episode 2 at the motel. While trying to hide from the twins, he has to submerge himself in oil to hide out from the Salamanca twins. Like, I remember thinking at this point that like Nacho has gone through so much, like he's been so stressed out. I remember thinking, I was like, I could clearly see like Jesse Pinkman season 5 comparison, like I see the comp clearly. 
when Jesse was with um, Todd's family and all that. And I, and then I started letting myself believe that maybe Nacho would make it out of this show alive. I mean, Nacho is one of the people that, on this show who are not on Breaking Bad. So everybody's always thought, Nacho, came. are they going to make it? Are they going to survive? And I thought, okay, they're putting through so much. Like they did Jesse. Maybe that means he survives. Maybe that means like he's just going through all this stress sort of when he survives at the end. It, it'll be very like rewarding. <laughs> that theory immediately starts to get like major chinks in its armor when he has that call with his father, which is very clearly feels like a goodbye call, like the last time these two characters are going to speak to each other. So at that point, I'm like, okay, this theory is not really on solid ground. Obviously, that leads us to seeing his point of view of that call with Mike from the end of episode two. He speaks to Gus, tells Gus that, look, we all know that if I'm alive and the Salamancas catch me, they'll get the truth out of me. If I disappear, they'll never stop suspecting you. So the best way is really for me to die. And then they come up with this plan, which means Gus brings Nacho back to the US and then they take him to Bosa and the Salamancas. And then he confesses that he was working with some people out of Peru, I think. I hope that's the correct country. And obviously he will try to escape and then one of Gus's men would kill him. That's their plan. And then between that conversation and the eventual plan, there's this kind of very strong heart-to-heart moment between him and Mike, which we'll get to in a second, which we'll talk about more, trust me. Um, so the actual plan, when Gus takes Nacho to meet Bosa and the Salamancas, I remember watching this scene and it's like, I we spoke about it when we were talking about Better Call Saul in the preview episode with Baba and Chris. I was like, a show like this that is a prequel and we know how the story ends essentially or at least we know how the story ends for lots of the characters. It shouldn't work because there should be there shouldn't be tension. There shouldn't in drama you need tension. But like this show still works. This show is still tense. And this scene is a perfect example. There are nine people in this scene, including Mike, who is obviously with the sniper. Eight of them are in Better Call, are in Breaking Bad. So we know what happens to eight out of the nine characters in that scene. The only one is Nacho. And we are meant to believe that he's going to die because that's the plan. But even still, like this, the scene is still so tense. I still don't know what is going to happen. I don't know who is going to do what. And it shouldn't, like, eight out of nine, I know their stories. But So that scene shouldn't work. But again, it's just very good, very well written, very, very well directed. So tense. Um, yeah, so obviously, Nacho goes along with the plan. He says what he needs to say. And then he kind of flips the script because he has this broken glass, which, again, the fact that the broken glass from the previous episode comes back to play major parts in this episode, it's just like, uh, that's just, that's just top tier writing. There's nothing else I can say about that. Um, and then he breaks free of his restraints, gets Bosa's gun, and essentially holds Bosa at gunpoint. And then it happens. He, he, he shoots himself. This is obviously after he's gone on this incredible monologue talking about how he was happy that he was the one that was responsible for Lalo's death and how he let Hector know that like I'm the reason you're in that chair I, I switched out your heart medication and then yeah he gets Bosa's gun and then shoots himself and I'm very I'm very intrigued to know I mean I think it's very up for interpretation maybe it's not we'll find out as we talk about it but I'm intrigued to know if Nacho always knew he was going to do this like because as Mike said, there are lots of ways that this could go south. So did like Nacho always know that he was going to take things into his own hand and kill himself? Or was his plan to try and escape and then in the moment he realized that, yeah, there's no, there's no way to do this. So he, he decides to obviously go ahead and shoot himself. I think it's interesting to think that it was always the plan. Like he always wanted to go out on his own terms because 
he wanted to take his own life, he wanted to have it on his own terms, not as a random stood shooting him in the back as he runs away, like almost in a sense of cowardice or something. So I think there's a weird sense of pride and honor in the way he tried to go out of on his own terms, which is very befitting a character like Nacho who always had this weird sense of pride and honor. Like yeah, I've seen Michael Mando, the actor who plays um, Nacho, talk about how Nacho broke good while everyone else was breaking bad. And it's kind of, his trajectory is almost opposite everyone else in, in the show's trajectory. He became a better person. Well, as far as that, that goes in this universe. But yeah, I think it's, there's a, it's interesting to think that he always wanted this plan. He always wanted God to do it on his own terms. Because there's something when Mike and Gus are relaying the plan to him, he says like, and, and Mike is like, one of Gus's men will, will shoot him as he tries to run away. And he says like, he puts me down, you mean? And like, what do you put down? You put down a rabbit dog, a dog, and he doesn't want to go out thinking of himself like a dog. So he decides to take out his own hand and shoot himself after like declaring what he's done and his pride at doing it and taking down the Salamancas, even though it's just two of them. Or so he's like he he goes out almost in a sense of pride. And I think you I almost at least I felt like shades of like Olena Tarell. I, I want her to know it was me when he's confessing to Hector. And I also thought like it was very it was nice that he dies thinking Lalu is dead. He he dies thinking that this person who was tormenting his family, like he was able to get rid of that person. Yeah. Something that he couldn't like fully do with Hector, he was able to do it with, with Lalu. So it's nice that he dies thinking that. Um, rewinding a bit back to like the Jesse compound I was talking about, I think from this you can clearly see why Mike became so protective of Jesse in, in Breaking Bad in the later seasons. Like he probably saw Jesse as a way to right the wrongs of Nacho. He did not want Jesse to go down the path of Nacho. And I mean, luckily Jesse didn't. So he didn't want a situation where Nacho's story repeated himself. And Mike is, Mike's son died. Nacho died. But he didn't want Jesse to die like this. So he has this very, his pop-pop, he has this very paternalistic and like teddy bear attitude to this kind of kids. And yeah, so you kind of, you kind of, it explains how he became that kind of person to Jesse and why he was so like protective of Jesse. Um, speaking of Mike, I, I do wonder what his um, do it when he says do it when after Nacho has captured Boss and Gunpoint, he says do it. I don't, I don't know what he meant there. Like, did he mean for Nacho to just like stick to the plan and, and shoot himself or was he hoping Nacho found a way out? Uh, I think I might be swayed to believe that he was, his do it was like find a way, like maybe hold him at Gunpoint to, to get in the car and drive away or something. I mean, Mike obviously didn't want Nacho to die, but at that point, that he resent himself that that was the best way to do it, or what did he mean when he said do it? So another thing that we'll probably maybe never know. But yeah, I mean, we have to give special props to Michael Mando. That was like, I mentioned how I used to watch him on Orphan Black, and that was just like a very good... They told him, like, look, this is it. This is your moment. You're going out, and then you have to do it. And then he's like, he's done two and a half episodes of just pure, intense action, and apparently he does... Most of his stunts, I think he said only two stunts were done by stunt performers. He does most of his stunts. So everything we've seen from the escape in the Salamanca house to the hotel, to, to, not the hotel, the motel, to everything, like that was all him. And then in this episode, he submerges himself in oil. He he does that. That's incredible speech. I think it's just, yeah, it's a great performance from Michael Mando. I'm sad that we didn't get to see him more throughout the final season or that even that Nacho didn't survive. It's very reminiscent of another slaughter we had in the desert, which is that of the agent Hank Schrader. Hector just 
the twins carrying Hector to like the dead body and Hector just like releasing shots on Lalo's dead or Nacho's dead bodies is hilarious in its own right. Um, I was in, I'm surprised that this like kind of this leg of the story was wrapped up so quickly. I def- definitely didn't think Nacho was going to die in the first half of the f- first half of the season of the final season. So I thought it would definitely last longer. But I mean, Lalo is still out there. Yeah, I mean, poor one out for our guy. Ignacio Nacho Verga. Hopefully his dad stays safe. I mean, Mike did say that they would have to go through him. And uh, I don't think anyone wants to go through Mike. So I think we can assume that Nacho's dad is, is safe for the foreseeable future. Yeah, another great episode. Um, I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to go over to the less sandy part of New Mexico. I'll be right back. So, over with the McGill and Wexlers, their long con with Howard continues to take shape. I mean, it seems like they've successfully planted the idea that Howard is a is a cook addict, which is just okay. Um, and now they're on to the next to their plan, which involves them bringing Huel in. Um, Huel's introduction is important, I think, because not only does it give us like a very very fun and like well directed montage sequence of them of Hugh stealing the car key and then replicating the key before the valet comes back to get it um it's important because he asks jimmy a very pertinent question where which is essentially why is he doing all this when he has access to a steady legal income and i mean us the viewers can pick from a number of reasons why we think jimmy is doing this is it the chip on his shoulder is his addiction to to the game addiction to to the con is it greed is it vengeance is it some undiagnosed thing that lives in the back of his brain. There could be a various number of reasons why, why Jim is doing this. But his response to Huel is that he's doing this for the greater good. That like two months down the line, people will benefit from this whole scheme or this whole scam. And it will help people that are in more need of the money and things like that. And you can see, at least at the, at the start of the, of the delivery from his face and through Bob Odekirk's um, delivery and performance, that he believes what he's saying, or at least he's trying very hard to convince himself that what he's saying is the truth, that this is why he's doing it. Hugh calls bullshit, not as explicitly, but in a way it's kind of like, okay, sure. And I think in that moment, kind of see like Jimmy realize a bit of Saul's bullshit, if that makes sense. I mean, interestingly, like we were also worried about Kim dying from season one that I think we all didn't even consider the possibility of her fully going to the dark side. Like, I'm even more sure now that like Kim, I don't think Kim is going to die in this show. Or at least I don't think she's just going to like, I think if she dies, it will be as a response of her, her own actions, which I don't, I feel like, I, I don't see Kim being a collateral damage if that makes sense anymore. I think, I think she's she seems to be enjoying what she's doing. She too, like like Jimmy, wants to convince herself that she's doing it for the greater good, and then she'll use all the money from the Sandpiper case to help her clients and all that. And maybe that's true, maybe that's not true. But like she definitely enjoys it, and she enjoys planning it and thinking of new ideas to do it. And I think you can see her fully going into <laughs> into slipping Kimmy. Um, I try not to predict where this storyline will go, but I'm interested to see where Kim's storyline might go because I don't I don't think it's going to be something as cut and dry as she dies and then that's why jimmy becomes all i think is obviously something a lot more first of all these writers are much better than that and i think it's something a little, little bit more surprising a little more substantive for for kim for kim ahead um 
Kim is also giving information in this episode that Lalo is dead. And I think that might be the DA. I'm assuming that's the DA or maybe the ADA. But she tries to convince Kim to convince Jimmy to come in and testify that that Lalo lied to him about his identity, thereby invalidating their um, client attorney privilege. That way, maybe Jimmy can help in terms of bringing down the larger cartel in, in New Mexico. And Kim isn't entirely against the idea, but she does know that it's like, it's essentially like she, she puts it out plainly. Do you want to be a friend of the cartel or do you want to be a rat? Well, what do you think we should do? You should do whatever you want to me. They don't have anything on you. It's just a fishing expedition to see if you bite. You think I should do it? It depends. On what? Well, I guess it's basically do you want to be a friend of the cartel or do you want to be a rat? I feel like we can assume what um, choice Jim is going to make because if, if he chose one of them, I don't think he would be existing in, in Breaking Bad. Yeah, that's, that's kind of like, it's a bit less on the McGill-Wexler front this episode. It's a lot more on uh, the death of our boy, Nacho Varga. I mean, I just once again, Michael Mando is just very good in this in this show and this episode, and I'm just I'm glad he was able to get a very very befitting death. Something that like going back to Kim, something that something type of thing. I think maybe I'm just me reading too much into all these things, but I remember in this episode's title sequence, there's a there's a shot of a woman like kind of putting out her her cigarette ash in the scales in the turtle sequence and i remember seeing that i was like oh, have we ever seen that before have we ever seen a woman's hand in that in a title sequence of better call so i couldn't remember maybe we have maybe we haven't but then i was like also i don't think we've ever seen kim smoke or maybe we have but i don't know if she's a smoker and then obviously in the episode she does smoke so it's something like i don't know is was that meant to be kim in the title sequence was it just a coincidence were they signifying what's gonna happen in the episode were they signifying what's gonna happen later down the line am i just reading too much into it we don't know but there's also, the, there's also the group of people that put Franks back in their episode two titles to signify that Gus was coming back in, in, sorry, in their season two titles to signify that Gus was coming back in season three. So maybe this, the end, it's not beyond them to put this kind of clues. Um, two episodes now without Lalo. I just know that he's going to come back like a fucking force of nature, if not the next episode, then very, very soon. But maybe it's the next episode. Next episode is titled Hit and Run, is written by Anne Cherkis and directed by Slipping Kimmy herself, Ray Sehorn. So that could be very interesting. i excited to see Lalo's return. I'm saying now that it quote-unquote resolved of who, who betrayed him or who tried to kill him. We know that's at the end of that story. We know Lalo is out there looking for proof, as he said. Um, we, we know that Tuku is coming out of jail soon. We know that what else do we know? We know that Jimmy and Kim have to get involved in this one way or the other. Yeah, and we know Mike is going to grieve. Mike has to go grieve um, Nacho. Poor Mike. Every time I see Mike, I just remember how his story ends. Just like, oh, fucking water. Why? I just killed him by the riverbed. And he had no money for his daughter-in-law and his granddaughter. What a waste of 
God knows how many years. Five, six. Oh, what a white man. Um, from next week, Kobe is going to be back talking about Better Call Saul with me. This is I'm really enjoying this season so far. There's seven episodes in this first half, so we're almost halfway through. So, yeah, four more weeks of Better Call Saul before they go on a little break and come back for the actual, actual end of the show. So that should be very, very interesting. I still don't know what's going to happen. We haven't seen any Gene this season, which is quite interesting, quite important. Like, we've not seen any of the flash forwards. Um, I need to go refresh my memory on what happens in the flash forward. I remember somebody, I think somebody noticed him, I saw, and then he tried to get, like, the laundry service to come and get him, or the vacuum cleaning service, and then he was like, no, I'll, I'll handle this myself. So, and then I think that was the last time we saw Gene. So we haven't seen any Gene this year. Yeah, I mean, first two episodes... I don't want to talk much about them just because we didn't get to cover them without be a whole thing. But the first episode literally starts with could either be the vacuum cleaning service or the um, DEA clearing out Saul Goodman's very very extravagant house with the gold toilets and all that. So yeah, I'm just I'm excited. I'm excited to see where the show goes and what the last we have four episodes left left in this half. We have ten episodes left in total. So like, what's gonna happen? excited but yeah that's it for now um of course we'll be back next week to talk about this uh, this show and episode four of this show but for now let's go over to my discussion with sam neil about the upcoming true crime show under the banner of heaven and what we expect from the show okay welcome back um, and joining me now to preview the upcoming show under the banner of heaven, starring and starring the great Andrew Garfield, really, it's the equally great Sam Neil. <laughs> you guys might remember him from our episode talking about Moon Knight, episode four. Or if you don't remember him, what are you doing? Go listen to episode on Moon Knight, episode four. <laughs> this stays between us. This case I'm working on is a double murder. So far, what we've found isn't pointing outward. The evidence points to things and to beliefs that I have only ever heard whisperings about. Under the Banner of Heaven, starring Andrew Garfield, comes out on April 28th in America, I believe, on Hulu. And it's meant to come out on Disney Plus everywhere else soon after. We don't know exactly when. So obviously, when we get to watch it in the UK, we'll probably do an episode talking about it. But for those of you in America, it comes out on April 28th. Um, weirdly, this movie came out like, or rather this show, the idea of this show came up very early in our conversation, didn't it? Like, first time we met. like yeah. Like, what put you on your radar? Was it just the Andrew Garfield aspect of it? Like, why was this show on your radar? Well, this came on my radar because um, it popped up on one of my news feeds that Andrew Garfield and Daisy Ecker-Jones were going to be in a TV show together. And also mm-hmm. Wyatt Russell was going to be in it as well. 
really really like white russell I like yeah him so much. fantastic um especially in falcon winter soldier i thought he gave something very different to the mcu uh, mm-hmm. but anyway anyway i do i do i digress um so that that's how it came on my radar right radar and ever since the trailer came out I, I was hooked immediately because it reminded me of why i kind of fell in love with the series true detective mm-hmm. it has those qualities even in the trailer and that's mm-hmm. why i'm really really excited for it yeah i mean for those who don't know who will be the first time you're hearing about this show so this show follows andrew garfield as a detective in a mormon community investigating the death of a mother and her young child and that's all i know it looks like it's a show that it's a show that could probably very easily just swerve into like very dark territory and it looks like there's a lot of i mean again it's a mormon community i'm sure there's a lot of religious iconography and all that so i'm interested to see how how the show balances everything i mean it's I believe the book it's based on is based on a true crime situation, a true life story. But yeah, it, I think like True Texas is in one, it could get quite weird, mm. could get quite dark. Um, I love the fact that Andrew Garfield is in this because like it just confirms that he's a movie star because obviously in the last few years, we've seen them give movie every movie star their own like true crime show like yeah. or, or rather murder mystery. Like you have Kate Winslet in Mayor of Easttown. You have... Amy Adams in Sharp Objects, you have the Big Little Lies women in Big Little Lies. So like, um, yeah, they're like Andrew Garfield, they're a movie star. Go solve a yeah, crime yeah, in a, yeah. an American town. So I'm excited for that. We're both big fans of Andrew Garfield. Yeah, so. massively. Yeah. I think what's great about Andrew Garfield, he's got, he's got this amazing playing range, hasn't he, really? Yeah. So, I mean, you forget that he's like 40, isn't he? Yeah, no. He's 38. He's 38. Yeah. Yeah, he's got that incredible range not just through his acting ability but his his appearance as well so it's like you said it will be exciting to see him uh play a fatherly uh role mm-hmm. yeah i'm just i'm yeah I, there's nothing we can say about this show like obviously like i said it's coming out on 28th in america and sometimes here in the uk and once it's out i really hope you guys check it out because we will be definitely covering probably at the season finale in the uk yeah it's like i like me a good Murder mystery. I don't actually. Let me ask you this question: Do you? How are you when you watch things like this? Are you someone that's trying to figure out who did it or what the clues are? Or because for me, I don't, I don't care. I don't like. I don't. I don't try to think. I just like let like big little. Lies. I forgot someone died until the last. I was like, oh yeah, someone died. Yeah. So like, I just watch watch the story and then like let the story take me. I don't try to like yeah figure things out. I th- I think the thing is for me is that obviously going and studying acting at drama school and mm-hmm. you sometimes lose your audience perspective so when i'm watching them i really try to retain my audience mindset and just and yeah. just watch it and be shocked like everybody else instead of trying to analyze and see whether i'll figure it out before we actually figure out figure it out as a uh, audience um yeah, with with Big Little Lies, for example, um, I definitely had a, a very very strong opinion of who it was yeah, at the start, yeah. um, but then I tried to block it away. But the biggest twist was obviously um, 
Well, let's not spoil it. No, let's, let's not, not spoil, let's spoil it. it. No, for, yes, for no. anyone who might not have not. I mean, it's 2017. I don't know what you were doing, but I will spoil No, yeah, it that's true. I'm, we I'm, shouldn't. We shouldn't. Yeah, no, we shouldn't. No, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> in terms of like from watching from, I don't like watching things with people for the first time mm. because the amount of times I rewind. And I rewind for like the most stupid of things. Like I could rewind because I want to see how a director did a particular shot. I could rewind because like, oh, I was like, oh, the actor was like flicking their finger just in the corner. I want to see that to see like the acting yeah. technique. Oh, gosh, yeah. So I can't watch something for the first time with someone else. Like they will get annoyed. I can't do that with someone else. Like so, no, so yeah. like I rewind so many times. I do the so, same. I do um, the same, but I actually just like make. Yeah, make notes sometimes when I'm watching films. Oh, you make okay, that's like okay, I'm terrible. No, just like about things, just like a little, a little things that actors do. Like, yeah. There's a classic one in um, uh, The Godfather with Marlon Brando where he kind of brushes his his cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I just I remember I used to watch that. I think, wow, that is amazing. And then I think I was doing an uh, Amdram production of something, and my and then you did it. My dad and my dad saw me do it. And he pulled me aside afterwards in the bar and went, you stole that from bloody Godfather, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> well, the, great, the greatest artist still. Yeah. Artist still. Under the Banner of Heaven, um, Andrew Garfield. It's actually written by Dustin Lance Black, I believe, who won an Oscar for writing the film Milk. So, yeah, there's, there's pedigree behind this show. Yeah. I think most steps are directed by the director of Hello High Water. Oh, so there's like people that people that are making this show know what they are doing. So like, Absolutely. hopefully, hopefully, yeah. hopefully pays off. Hopefully pays off. Yeah, and then you'll be back to talk about the entire season with me. <laughs> we might be disappointed. We might not be disappointed. We'll find out. Who it's, knows? It's weird. It's like it, Who it, knows? we'll find out. Okay, guys. Um, obviously, thank you as always. I'm always thankful that the five of you that keep coming back to listen to our podcast. Thank you very much. Um. Yeah, and thank you to my guest, Sam Neil, who just quickly came in to preview Under the Banner of Heaven with me. Um, as always, if you're listening to the podcast app that allows you to, please rate and review. It really helps. And also follow us for more episodes talking about Moon Knight. We're also going to talk about Atlanta at some point. We're going to talk about Barry. We're going to talk about Under the Banner of Heaven as well. <laughs> Stranger Things, Ozark. Like, guys, we're going to talk about a lot of things. So please follow us and then yeah tell your friends who like film and tv maybe they will like what we say or maybe they won't like what they say and then they can come on twitter and instagram to insult us whichever we just want the views <laughs> obviously uh thank you to everyone thank you to my co-host my regular co-host james thank you to my regular producers and social producer and yeah guys join us next week when we'll be joined by the one the only oscar winner bafta winner future tony winner someday emmy winner the great Daniel Kaluuya. Bye, guys. <laughs>